Welcome back to the Connect Podcast. I'm Derek Miller, Senior Pastor at River Valley Christian Fellowship. And with me today, as always, it seems, Mike Dean, our pastor of uh, children's ministry, and also uh, Logan Miller is here. Don't you just feel lifted up yeah. after that introduction? As always. As always, I guess. It's these two. No, I'm thrilled. Sigh. I'm thrilled. Yeah, no. You guys tolerate me. Come Don't on. patronize yeah, us. Yeah, no. Okay. <clears throat> hey, uh, what about Wilson Contreras, you guys? Uh, Cubs ex-catcher. Yeah. Man, traded to the Cardinals, and man, he was he was bad mouth on the Cubs organization, and he is not having a great year. In fact, he was their replacement for for Molina, which is like he's going to be like a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's an excellent, excellent catcher, a uh, longtime catcher for uh, St. Louis Cardinals. Anyway, Wilson was going to you know step into his shoes, and and uh, now they're already talking. The Cardinals are already talking about replacing him with someone else. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the Cubs fans, although we, we loved him when he was with us, but, you know, don't, bow, don't badmouth us on the way out the door. Not cool, man. And it's not cool. And you guys don't even know what I just said I who over Kacharis the last two is. minutes. <laughs> I do not. Hey, actually, I got <laughs> Tiffany and I Cubs tickets uh, yesterday. You did? Nice. We're going to go to a Cubs game uh, at the, when they play the Pirates in June. What, what day? What day? Uh, I think it's the first night the Pirates are there. Well, what date? The 13th, I think. 13th. I'm going on the 30th. Are you really? Yeah, I'm going to a Cubs game on the 30th. Uh, (laughs) I am going with the Rotary Club. (laughs) Hey, what are you guys laughing at? so many jokes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going with the Rotary Club. Listen, our esteemed 92-year-old church statesman here at River Valley. Is it you? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there's one. Uh, no, uh, Glenn Holmes oh, invited cool. me. He said, hey, would you want the Rotary Club's going to a Cubs game? And are, would you want to go with us? And I'm like, sure, I'll go with you. Glenn would be a great he would be baseball a, he is gonna partner. Be a, it's gonna he's going to be a fantastic, Fantastic. 92 years old. The guy is amazing. He's awesome. He's just amazing. No, That's I'm awesome. Jealous. Every, every <laughs> Sunday, he gets in his car in a Robopark, and he drives here. And yeah. Oh, man. And we... And we, you have to go with Tiffany. <laughs> Is that what you were saying? You're like, oh, I'm kind of jealous. Yeah. I'm like, I, uh, I have to go with my wine. I'm not going to respond to that on the podcast. <laughs> she listens sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's some growth. Yeah, yeah there you there's go. some growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you guys, I, I wanted to start with that because I knew you guys didn't have any idea what I was talking about. I, I've got to get me a, another... I didn't know he went to the Cardinals. I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. I didn't know who he, he did. is, at least. Yeah, you know, when you leave, you got to go outside the division. You know, don't don't go to a rival. Come on, yeah. Wilson. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to follow the money. But I'm you know what? <laughs> they had... I'm kind of a follow the money Although guy. the Cardinals have been playing Cardinals. the Cubs, and they have been dominating uh, the that's, series. That's and in fact, good. Wilson Contreras had a very good game the other night, I think. And the Cubs fans were booing him like crazy. He <laughs> good. Was, he was like, he was like, just bring it on, bring it on. He, another hit, bring it on the booze. Yeah. And then he, uh, I think he got a double single. Careful, guys. He had a great year. Him. He had a great year yeah. or a great uh, game. Anyway. Um, hey, we've been in the series uh, the last several weeks. The World uh, Series? Uh, no. Nope, nope, nope. It's called nope. a tie-in. Do you like that, Mike? <laughs> That's nice, yeah. It's a, it's a bad one, because uh, you're only about five months, six months. Uh, I'll take anyway. it, though. Take anyway, uh, we are talking about these objections, these big questions that people sometimes have uh, for Christianity. And uh, these questions, uh, last time on the podcast, we talked about how can 
um, Christianity be the only true religion? Yep. And today we're tackling the question uh, that's, that asks, how do you know the Bible is true? How can you know that the Bible is true? Uh, Christians, of course, claim that the Bible is true. How do you know? Uh, that's a question that I think sometimes uh, our son that uh, works in a pretty secular environment uh, land, and he, he sometimes talks to coworkers, and this is a question that comes up a lot yeah. about the Bible, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of myth talk, and a lot of, uh, a lot of stereotypes about the Bible that actually, uh, that they, I think, just parrot back. Uh, many of them, most of them probably have not read the Bible uh, necessarily, but they do have some objections to it that they've heard along the way. Uh, and so today I thought, hey, let's tackle this question. Let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, because uh, the Ligonier Ministries uh, did a survey called the State of Theology. They do this every, every so often. You remember this? Yeah, I remember talking and about that. They had a very interesting question that they asked. They gave a statement both to the U.S. general population, adult population. They also gave the same statement to evangelical Christians, people who claim to be born again. And here's, here's, here's the statement. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but <laughs> is not literally true. Okay, is not literally true. So 53% of U.S. adults agreed with that statement. I'm surprised it actually wasn't more than that. But 53% said, yes, we agree that um, there are helpful accounts of ancient myths within the Bible, and it is not literally true. Uh, what's interesting about that, though, uh, that's an increase of 12% since 2014, the last, maybe the last time they did the survey. So interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and then among evangelical Christians, they were given the same statement, and 26% wow. of evangelical Christians said <laughs> that the Bible is, has helpful ancient myths and is not literally true. Now, that is very, very disheartening, and it's also a trend, because the, the last time, no, in 2016, I guess, it's up 9% nine, 9%. Nine since 2016. Wow. So in, in, both, in both areas, both in the general U.S. population, adult population, and evangelical Christians, this is a growing trend that people just don't believe what the Bible says it is. They don't believe um, what, even, what Jesus says it is, yeah. uh, and they are defining it for themselves. And they're defining it along the lines of any other ancient piece of literature, right? So what is the Bible? What is the Bible? Let's, let's ask that question first. It's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it? It's 66 books. It's uh, sometimes described as a, a library. Yeah. Divided into two halves. Yeah. An Old Testament. An New Old Testament, Testament New Testament. Uh, it is, um, it's born out of the history of ancient Israel and New Testament Christianity as well. Uh, and there's all kinds of genres. Yeah. I think sometimes people don't realize how many genres there are within the biblical text. And so what are some of those genres? Well, there's a play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was mentioned the weird one first, but yeah, Job is written as a, as a mm -hmm. play. Uh, there's a narrative is the dominant one. I think the second mm -hmm. one is poetry. It's the second yep. is the second largest genre, but then there's, uh, there's apocalyptic literature. There's mm -hmm. there's personal letters. And there's uh, all, all many. gospels are kind of their own genre. Yeah. There's also law history mm -hmm. uh, within it as well. 
uh, apocalyptic literature that might be uh, unfamiliar to our listeners. What 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 do you would what books? So would... so the, the book of Daniel and uh, some of the other prophets would fall into the category, yeah. and then the book of Revelations falls into the category of apocalyptic apocalyptic literature. It looks forward and gives us some ideas about things that might be coming in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, also it was written uh, the Bible itself, written forty authors. Over a thousand year yeah. uh, period, uh, it, with no in different regions of the world. Even I mean, yeah. they, they weren't all even in the same the same locale. That's right. But it's interesting, isn't it? So fascinating that the Bible is one coherent meta narrative. Yeah, about the redemptive plan of God through Jesus Christ, His Son. Yeah, that's one. That's actually, of course, one of the arguments for the for the uniqueness of the Bible is that. Uh, it was written over such a long period by so many authors in different areas. And somehow, uh, we believe by divine inspiration, of course, the stories all fit together. Yeah, and, they absolutely do. So so there, there really is not a book in the history of the world like the Bible. There's not anything even close to it that has had... You think about the Bible's influence. There's no other book in the history of the world that has had the influence that the Bible has had on literature, on culture, on life, on Absolutely. law. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Bible is really so intertwined into the fabric uh, and thinking of Western uh, culture that really to undo it would be to undo our society. Absolutely. It is so part of the DNA and the fabric of who we are. An example for that is if you travel to D.C., you just see it quoted everywhere. Or or if you read original, uh, you know, I was a history guy. If you read original documents from United States history, it is quoted everywhere. Like mm-hmm. everywhere scripture is quoted. And most Americans, uh, for, for much of our history, learn to read from the Bible. The, 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 it, I mean, it just is very deeply ingrained in, Absolutely. in Western thought and life. Well, um, there are... Um several reasons that we believe the Bible is true. And that's not just because somebody told us it was, or it's something, some figment of our own imaginations that we have just decided that it is true, but but it's true for several reasons. Uh, one is the manuscript evidence. So there's several evidences, and one of those is the manuscript evidence of the historical reliability of the Bible, and really the Bible stands in a class all of itself. There's not even any other ancient piece of literature even close. And of course, we understand that there's no original writings from the Bible or any other ancient piece of literature. Uh, We only have copies of the originals, right? So so the originals would have been written on something that would have degraded over time, and so they're just those are lost. Those are but but before they were lost, there were copies made of them, and then copies of those copies. Yeah. And there was a very stringent way in which those copies were made to reduce stakes and all of that. A uh, whole class of people that were a whole vocation that were uh, assigned to do that kind of work, and it was uh, that was how the the writings were passed down and. In ancient times, uh, but but I, I find it very interesting if you if you look as a, at a comparison between the ancient pieces of literature and the Bible, uh, what you'll find is this that uh, so for instance the average number of copies for other ancient writings um, is about one to two hundred copies. Yeah. Okay. So Homer's Iliad, 
I think that's the, that's the number two, isn't it? That's the second most. Yes. The Bible is the highest, yeah. and the, and the Iliad, right. I think, is the second. It is. It is. But it's a far, far second. Yeah, like crazy yeah, far. So yeah, so Homer's Iliad uh, has about 1,800 yeah. copies that have been discovered. But the average number of years between the original ancient writings and the first copy, copy and ancient other ancient writings is 500 to 1,500 years. Yeah. So between 500 and 1,500 years... That's when they begin to, the first copies begin to show up, you know, through archaeological discoveries. Um, and, and then you find uh, the Bible is in a very different category. So instead of one to 200 copies, there are, there are 5,700 <laughs> copies of just the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament alone. Yep. And instead of there being five to 1,500 years between the original writing and the copy, in some cases, it's only a hundred years or less. Yeah. Some say in some of the New Testament write, books, they were they were even less the letters. So when you add up all of the Greek New Testament manuscripts and the early New Testament translations, and then all of the Old Testament scrolls and codices, there are sixty six thousand three hundred and sixty two wow. manuscript evidences. Uh, and again, the Iliad. 1800. Yeah, and nobody really doubts that the Iliad was was literature for the right. world. Yeah. Right, yeah, no one, no <laughs> one doubts it. No one doubts it. And so, so there is just a, an enormous gap between the number of copies we have, the, the, not just the fragments, but whole copies that we have, and the number of years between the original and the first copy that we currently have. And many of those first copies were uh, discovered in 1948, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. You and I have been there. We have. At Qumran. Yeah, but yeah uh, because like a, a sheep fell in a hole or something, right? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Or a, a boy, yeah. a shepherd. Yeah, well, the shepherd went in after, after the, I sheep. Think, the sheep. Yeah. And, the, uh, and he was like, oh, the, wait yeah. a second. There's a bunch of, uh, there's a bunch of, you pots. know, there, there were pots and and, uh, and inside, <laughs> inside were these scrolls that were hidden. Super cool. Yeah. Super cool place to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And if you remember in Qumran, you look up over the site, there's just caves everywhere. Yeah. Now this one is a kind of a uh, uh, little. It's like a. It's not. It's not a mountain. No. It's, so it kind of sits between uh, a valley. It's, it's almost in a ravine, like a ravine yeah. with a cave in the wall, the yeah, side yeah, yeah. of the ravine. But sorta. not easy to get into. No. Not easy to get into. So so this kid, you know, was, uh, I think, probably went through the top actually of the cave into into the cave. Because uh, you can see, if you see pictures of it, you can see um, their openings on the side now as well. And th- those may have been there. But for him to get there, <laughs> he was probably walking yeah. on top of the cave and then went through the top into into it. Pre- so Preserved there, there by an aesthetic group who just mm-hmm. thought it was important to mean, to, just to preserve right. documents, right? They, just, they, right? they kept all these documents and kept them preserved and translate or copied them. Yeah, That's right. it was super cool. And, and when they would find a mistake, it, it's very interesting. You know, uh, they were so meticulous about making the copies. If a mistake was found, usually that writing was burned or buried yeah. so that uh, it would not be duplicated in future copies. Um, so that's the manuscript evidence. And Derek, why, yeah. why is it so important that there are so many? I mean, what, what, why is that such a big deal well, the, that we the, may have so many? Well, the big deal is the more you have, the more you can test uh, yeah. test the other copies. Yeah. So you can know the accuracy of what you have by the more copies you have, you can test it against each other. That's exactly. And then when they test it against each other, what they find is 
when they find a later when they find a later copy and uh, uh, they 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 test it against maybe an earlier copy or vice versa, and they find that many of the if there are differences, these are mainly in punctuation or mm-hmm. you know something spelling of words. Yeah, Sometimes spelling of words, spelling or something, of word. not of substance. Yeah, uh, that's how meticulous uh, this this process was of copying each of these manuscripts. Um, so that's why it's important. Uh, we know it can be accurate. We know it's true in its accuracy because we have so many copies to test test them with. Yep. Very cool. So uh, then if we look at, let, let's look at archaeological evidence. So we have manuscript evidence, but what about archaeological evidence? Archaeology, I mean, throughout, uh, especially got really amped up in the 19th century. Yep. Uh, the mid-18 to late 1800s uh, and then beyond now. Uh, it really, there were a lot of discoveries of biblical places, cities, uh, and and just just amazing. You know, so for instance, in 1930, uh, archaeology discovered the ancient walls of Jericho. They did indeed fall outward. Yeah. And they and they 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 discovered it, so it verified the text. Yep. When they began to uncover the ancient walls of Jericho, they're like, okay, because from what I understand, that the walls were actually built to fall inward not outward. Yeah. And so they found them just as the text said. I watched a super interesting uh, documentary recently about an archaeologist who, uh, there was a time when uh, the, uh, oh, I forgot the name of the people now, the horsemen from the north that invaded Israel. I can't think of the name mm-hmm. of the group. But anyway, they thought they were a myth because they had no archaeological evidence about the existence of this group. And an archaeologist in this documentary just took the biblical account and follow, Old Testament account and followed it very closely. And and out in the middle of the desert, discovered uh, archaeological evidence for this group that pretty much everybody has just had just dismissed as mm-hmm. not existing yeah. just by following the account. It's a really cool, uh, it lends credibility all of these discoveries that Absolutely. point to the scripture and verify what you read there lend a lot of credibility to the uh, to the scriptures. Absolutely. Well, also the Pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem yep. that was covered up until about uh, late 19th century. So at the end of the late 19th century, which is 1800s, uh, there was no, no record outside of the Bible that such a pool existed, and then they found it. Yeah. And if you recall, it's just outside. It's in the old city of Jerusalem. You and I have been there. Yes, we have. And it's right outside St. Anne's Church, yep. not too far from St. Anne's Church, uh, the old stone church there, which is just one of my favorites, just beautiful church. Um, and there they, there it was. Uh, they, they discovered it. I, I find it very interesting that just last year, a gate was discovered in Tel Shiloh, uh, near where the tabernacle would have sat during the period of the judges. And this is important because... In 1 Samuel 4, it's where the high priest Eli dies, and they found the gate. That's cool. <laughs> they found the gate. So, amazing. Okay. Now, I don't know if you uh, I don't know if you heard this before or not. I just discovered it when I was studying for, for the message, but last year, they say, was perhaps one of the greatest, if not the greatest disco- archaeological discovery since... Uh, since the beginning of all biblical archaeology, last year, just last year, 2022, okay? And what did they find? They uncovered a tiny tablet. I'm talking, this tablet (laughs) is tiny. It's like two by two, 
two inches by two inches, very, very tiny. They call it a tablet. We think of, of it being much bigger, but, but yeah, it's just a little tablet. They discovered this tablet has the name Yahweh on it. Oh, cool. But also the name El, which is God. Mm-hmm. So it has Yahweh God on it. So it has the divine name on it, but it also has written on it maybe five or six times the word curse. Okay, so what is that all about? Well, if you turn to Joshua chapter 8, it says that Joshua builds an altar on Mount Ebal. Okay, and it says in um, that there is like half of the tribes of Israel are on Mount Gerizim, and half are on Mount Ebal, and they have a, a covenant ceremony. And it says that in the text, in chapter 8, verse 34, it says that Joshua wrote the blessings and cursings of the covenant down. Oh, wow. So as a part of this ceremony, evidently there were these tablets, Yeah, and it was part of the curse ceremony. So, the, so it, it kind of gives you the idea that uh, the uh, part of the tribes were the blessing tribes, part of were you know so the, this blessing and curse kind of uh, image that they would have had or had or the, these, this tablet that has God's divine name on it, Yahweh God, and has curse written on it mm. several different times. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So this tablet would verify that event. In Joshua chapter 8, yeah, when they cool. ratified the covenant together, Mount Ebal and Mount Garam, this is where they found it, it's Mount Ebal. They found this tablet on Mount Ebal. Right where it's supposed to be. Right where it's supposed to be. And <laughs> it's 3,400 years old. Wow. 3,400 years old. So they are saying... So does that work out about right? Yeah, it, yeah, it does. That, yeah. that lands pretty yeah, close, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's amazing. So they say that discovery could be the biggest discovery they've ever had. That's cool. Um, just, just incredible. So, you know, I've had the privilege, you've had the privilege of walking uh, through Israel mm-hmm. and being in the places where archaeologic, ar- archaeological discoveries have, have uncovered <laughs> these, these places, verifying events, verifying uh, the event like this tiny tablet, yeah. uh, verifying the scriptures like the gate, uh, amazing. It's just yeah. amazing. And references to people. So, so, right. so that are also referenced in, because we learned about the references to Pontius Pilate, which was an important discovery mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, lots of each one of those. And the Bible is kind of unique in that. That was in Caesarea. Yeah. Where they found the, the, uh, the inscription an inscription that just uh, mentioned Pilate's name and when the he theater. served and the, yeah, mm-hmm. um, that he served as governor, which again, many people had actually doubted that that was real. And, yeah. and then you have this, this confirmation that what the Bible says is true. And the Bible is kind of unique in this too, because uh, when you look at other religious documents, um, most of them don't have historical data that you can check. Most of them are just uh, uh, maybe a, a, a lists of rules or, or law codes or uh, proverbs or uh, s- just statements of, of that have some religious value but are non-verifiable in any way. And the Bible is kind of unique in the fact that it, it, prevent, it presents this history, which you can, you can then verify in normal historical ways by looking for other documents uh, that, that confirm or by looking for historical uh, evidence that confirms it. It's, it's right. unique in that way. It's very Sets unique. Apart. 
So that's kind of the 10,000-foot view yeah. uh, of the manuscript evidence, uh, the archaeological evidence as well. But when you go into the Bible and we just look at Jesus' life and what he said, it's interesting in, in Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection, when he intercepts these two disciples on their way to Emmaus. You remember this conversation, yeah, right? Okay. He comes up and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, what? Where have you been? <laughs> Not knowing that they, they were speaking to Jesus himself, the resurrected one. Uh, they had no idea. And he says, well, what, what, th- what things? And they begin to tell him about himself. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jesus tells them in verse 25 of 24, he says, uh, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Mm-hmm. So Jesus took his Bible seriously. And he expected these disciples to also believe what the prophets had spoken. And why is that? Well, because 2 Peter chapter 1, 20-21 says, No prophecy or scripture comes from the one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So why did he expect them to believe the prophets' words? Because they were God's words. Yeah. <laughs> so... This conversation is very interesting. He he also um, he expects them to believe. In verse 26, it says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In other words, didn't the prophet Isaiah write that the Messiah would be a suffering servant mm-hmm. who would be pierced for their transgressions, crushed for their iniquities? Uh, Jesus is calling them out, really, for picking and choosing what they wanted to believe about what the prophet said. Because they had had the testimony of the women that the tomb was empty yeah. earlier that morning. They yeah. knew that. It wasn't that they left town not knowing what had happened. They already had this information. They didn't believe. Yeah. They, and Jesus had told them it was going to happen as well, and they didn't believe. No. That's right. So he's really um, telling them, look, you, you should believe what the prophets have spoken. And, and of course, when you just look, when you just kind of drill down and look at the prophecies just concerning Jesus' life alone— it is unbelievable. Yeah. So these prophecies from our Old Testament are written hundreds of years prior to Jesus coming uh, in the flesh. And many of them very specific. Very specific. Very specific about what's going to happen. Not just, you know, generalized like, like something you might get at the fair or something like that. No. Very specific details about what's going to happen. Yeah, let me give you eight. Let me just give you eight of them. First of all... <clears throat> Uh, we know, because in this conversation with the, these two disciples, he essentially takes them through the law and the prophets, the writings, and he, he informs them about all the ways that these are about him mm-hmm. personally, which is just incredible. So he's, he says, look, you guys should have known this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why, why are you not believing? He calls them fools, essentially. Why aren't you believing what the prophets said? And then he's essentially saying, what they spoke was about me. And, and what is it that they spoke? Well, we have the prophecy of Bethlehem, the yep. birth of Jesus, and the fulfillment. Of course, he was born in Bethlehem. Uh, a virgin birth was prophesied. A triumphal entry was prophesied. Uh, the fact that he would be silent when he was accused mm-hmm. during his trial was also prophesied. The fact that he was crucified with sinners was also um, prophesied. None of his bones would be broken, prophesied. The, the fact that the soldiers would cast lots for his clothes was also prophesied. And, of course, his resurrection 
was prophesied. And then a whole lot of other things, yeah. details that were prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years that Jesus and the events around his life were a fulfillment of. Yeah. The, when you start adding those kinds of things up, like the number of prophecies that are fulfilled, um, the odds of <laughs> the odds of something like, like that happening be, by accident become, they become impossible. The odds become impossible. Well, let me tell you what the odds are. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because I read this. Uh, there, there is a guy named Peter Stoner. Uh, he is a mathematical science person. And so he he looked at the probability of of taking eight of Jesus' prophecies and fulfillments, okay? What I just listed for you, that's eight. Okay, there are more, but that's just eight. He said, he calculated the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies related to the Messiah from the Old Testament. He found that the number would be one times 10 to the 17th power. <laughs> that's one in one hundred now this is a this is a number I I don't even know if I've ever heard of yeah. quadrillion, yeah, whatever that be. Yeah. one in one hundred quadrillion. That's like how yeah. many listeners we have, guys. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's a lottery you're not going to want to play right there. It's not a uh... <laughs> one in one hundred wow. quadrillion. So to give a picture of this, so he came up with this illustration. So if you uh, laid silver dollars side by side and covered the entire state of Texas with them, two feet high, okay? (laughs) And then you took just one of those, and you made a red X on it. Then you put it in the middle or somewhere of that two-foot-high Texas-sized pile of of silver dollars, and then you mixed them all up, (laughs) okay? You, You mixed them all up. A person, one person... Having the chance to pick that one silver dollar with the mark on it is the chance he could a person could do that is one times ten to the seventeenth oh power. That's one that's crazy. in one hundred quadrillion. And that's if there were only eight. I mean, right. that's right. just saying there's only eight, right. and there's 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 more, way more. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, there were dozens. So so the fact is, the Bible is about Jesus, and the yeah. Bible confirms over and over again. Uh, through the manuscript evidence, archaeological discoveries that affirm the Bible, the events and the people of the Bible, uh, and Jesus' life yeah. and his his resurrection. Yeah, with odds like that, to not believe um, uh, that Jesus is the fulfillment of of these prophecies and that and that uh, um, that he is who he says he is, and that the Bible is trustworthy, it becomes folly, it becomes foolishness to not believe. Um, because and that's what he said. You're ignoring, yeah, that's yeah, what he that's what he said. Said. because you're just you're ignoring odds that just no 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 sane person would ever do that. That's right. Yeah. Well, and and we also have to say this: those two disciples, when they when Jesus revealed Himself to them at the breaking of bread around mm-hmm. a meal, what did they do? They went back and they became testimonies of the reliability of Jesus' words. Yeah. So their own lives and the lives of the other disciples became the testimony of what was written was true. Yeah. That their lives actually became an evidence of the trustworthiness of what had been written, what Jesus had said, and what he had done. And so, you know, so the, there's, a, there's a question that I think is 
pretty, uh, well, it's pretty challenging. And that is, if someone were, if my life was recorded for a day, you know, if somebody followed me around and I didn't know it with a, you know, recorder, um, and they videotape my life today, would someone watching that be more convinced or less convinced that the Bible is trustworthy? Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> So if if I were to examine my life, would I would my life present compelling evidence that the Bible is true based on my life and practice? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. It's a really good question. <laughs> and the and the <clears throat> the reality is all of us, each believer is a living testimony. Yeah. Living representatives, living testimonies created in the image of God to to proclaim and live out and bear his name to other people. And realistically, that's, that's, I mean, I don't, I guess I can't, I can't say this for all people or even for you guys, but I can say for me, realistically, that's where most of us, that's why most of us trust the Bible. Mm-hmm. I, I, I told, I told the kids when we were talking about this at the end, um, I told them that, that really, I, I didn't, I didn't go looking for evidence to trust the Bible until I was, until somebody uh, was asking for that from outside, uh, because I learned to trust the Bible because it was because in my own testimony it proved trustworthy, right? Mm-hmm. As I as I watched my parents, my yeah. parents were faithful believers, and I watched my parents live, study, and live according to biblical principles. And then as a young man myself, as I began to live and act upon biblical principles, I found the Bible to be trustworthy. It proved itself in my own experience. And that's, I started there. Uh, and then only when challenged on that, that I have to say, well, let's, let's what other evidence is there be, beyond my personal experience to show this? And so for me personally, the, the most compelling testimony for the reliability of scripture is, is the experience I've had with it. And I think that's where most people come come in, yeah. right? Uh, I think that's true. And, and some people will resist for the same reasons. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, based on their other experiences with Christians or, you know, mom and dad absolutely. that, that uh, didn't quite live that example, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, but, but man, what a, what both a gift and also a, maybe a, a glorious weight yeah. <laughs> to be able to uh, present and live out the evidence of the truth of the scriptures through our own lives. Yeah, and wonderful. the only way we can do that is because uh, Jesus is who He says He That's is, right. and He did what He said He He would. Yeah, He so, is alive, and thanks, the Spirit is thanks, alive Thanks, Mama in Dan. Us. Shout out, to Mama right. Dan. <laughs> That's right, and and a lot of others. I That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're both incredibly blessed in that way. Well, we're grateful uh, that you've joined us for this uh, conversation. I hope it was helpful to you. Uh, we're going to continue looking at these questions over the next a few weeks. And uh, next time, we will look at the just the small question <laughs> of how can a loving God allow so much suffering? Yeah. So that's next time. That's next week. We'll see you then. Yeah.